You're listening to The Skeptical Saint, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Cynicism is the sickness of my culture. We undress each other with an evil eye. Concentric circles, we look like vultures when we feast on the failures of the lives we criticize. Welcome to the podcast where crippling doubts collide with positional righteousness. This is the Skeptical Saint Show. Boom! I'm your host. I'm not going to forget that this time. Dan Van. Dan Van. And this is Maggie. Hi. And that's Mr. Arian. <laughs> oh, <laughs> let it Mr. die. Mr. Arian. I said it Don't once. Don't let it die, please. <laughs> and uh, we're back for episode four. Last episode of this season. Finale. It's a trial run, so you can drop in the comments or you can post on socials or you can email in and let us know if you want to see the return of the Skeptical mm-hmm. Saint show. But uh, I'm excited for this podcast. Every episode, as you guys know, we address 10 questions related to a certain theme, questions that you guys other and other believers or and even unbelievers are asking. And today, we get really practical. Our feet hit the dirt. And we are addressing <laughs> 10, 10 questions about life and specifically the Christian life. But I mean, there are things that everybody struggles with or wrestles through or questions. Yeah. Um, so 10 questions about the Christian life. And culture. And, oh, and culture. Yeah. We zoom so in on some culture. Where, where our lives are. Yeah. So let's where our think. Heat, let's, feet hit the floor. Let's do this. Danny Van. I'm so excited. Okay. Roll. Here we go. Is it biblical that one can feel the presence of the Lord? How can we differentiate between the true presence of the Lord versus an emotional high? Hmm. Yeah, I think it's definitely biblical that we can, well, we should experience, first of all. And we all experience things differently. Like you take, for example, the birth of a child. Every father or every mother is going to have their own experiences. And experiences are good. They're important. Um, They can be too much weight can be placed on an experience at times. Mm-hmm. Your subjective experience does not trump objective reality. Um, as we've seen politically and socially, culturally over the last couple of years there. Um, but that doesn't mean that your subjective experience isn't valid and isn't legitimate yeah. and isn't weighty. And so when it comes to your relationship with the Lord, if, you're, if your entire relationship is based on emotional experience, it's not going to be substantive enough to preserve you during like the heavy times going back to episode three, during the trials of life. Because not everything is always cupcakes and daisies and rainbows. It's just not. There are those moments though in the Christian life where you're just overwhelmed with, there's no other way of saying it, the subjective presence of the Holy Spirit, the love of Christ for you, the compassion of the Father upon you. A lot of those times are very communal. It can happen individually, like privately, like in your own devotional life or Mm -hmm. a moment of ecstasy or joy or whatever. But a lot of times it's with other believers where you're really overwhelmed the sense of the presence of God. That's why we really prioritize in-person worship here at Building 28 or in-person home groups a lot of times because there's something very mysterious and powerful that takes place in a group. And, and the Spirit of God comes upon a place, and you see that biblically. Uh, or came upon a place, and the place was shaken. And not, not everyone who was just around um, on the day of Pentecost received the Holy Spirit there. It was those who were gathered in that place 
Um, it was not those who were like zooming in or, you know, watching online. Um, and so it was like those in that place. So I think there's something really important to be said for that. There is an experiential element. Um, at the same time, there, our faith needs to be um, rooted in objectivity. And so uh, I would compare it to a marriage relationship. There needs to be commitment and covenant, and there needs to be intimacy, both. We understand that. If you're lacking one or the other, you're lacking something very important and critical. If, if you're committed to this person, you love them, hey, I love you, like we're, we're together to the end, but there's no intimacy, there's no passion, then it's going to be very stale and unhealthy and, and lead itself to wayward thinking. And, and conversely, if it's just all passion and, and you've seen those relationships, right? We've seen those dating relationships where it's like everything is glitz and glam and, and beautiful and awesome until it's not. And then there's nothing there. There's no backbone to a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so in Christianity, we need the, we love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. All four of those need to be present. But the heart of that, the, the emotional center of that, the experiential aspect of that, it can't be dismissed. That should be there. It's going to look different for all of us. I'm probably not going to have the emotional angst and, and demonstrations, maybe something like mad you would have or. But it, it needs to be there. Some type of experiential element needs to be there and it can't be dismissed. Okay. So that answers, I think, the first question, like, because obviously you can feel the presence of the Lord, yeah. tangible presence. But how can you differentiate between, like, feeling God's presence? And, and a bad like, burrito? No, like, kind of <laughs> like being at camp. Like, how can you tell if you're really, like, experiencing that overwhelming, like, the presence of the Lord? And then, you know, you go home and everything's different. Or it's like you actually are experiencing, you know, like, or you cry in worship. It's like, am I just feeling like emotionally stirred or am I like being impacted by the presence of the Holy Spirit? So I consider myself an analyst. I like analyze everything. But I feel like sometimes it, like our over analysis of things isn't good. Self-examination. Yeah. Like, I mean, like self-examination is good. But like to be like, was that real or was that not real? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm so caught in my head. Like, my it's, head. <laughs> it's, just, it's just kind of like, why don't you embrace the moment for what it was? Yeah. Why don't you just like enjoy that and remember it fondly and try to return to that? Right. Even though it's not going to be every moment, why does there have to be like this over analysis of, was that really legit? Like what I experienced with Jesus or was I just hyping myself up? At the end of the day, who cares? Like if, you're, if your devotion for Jesus is deepened because of that experience that was not sinful, then... Why don't we just credit that to the providence of God working in your life mm, and roll with it good. from there, you know? Like, so practical. Never read a John Piper me, I'm like, on that. I'm like, I'm like, there are so, certain things that we should like think really, really deeply about. And then mm. there are other things we should just like let go of the fear of, oh my gosh, like was this time when I was worshiping Jesus in crime because the love of God was like, was that not genuine? Like, was I self-centered in that? Like, give me a break. Like, just embrace it. That like, <laughs> hey. Jesus overwhelmed us with his love. That's yeah. not a bad thing. Yeah. And in this moment now, I could use that again. That'd be great. <laughs> Bring it on. Yeah. All right. Do I have to confess and repent of the sin I did in my dream slash nightmare? Oh, <laughs> uh, no. So there's this like really stupid online forum called the Reform Pubcast, where a bunch of guys <laughs> who think they're smart get together, talk about stuff like this. Pubcast? Yeah, Reform Pubcast. Um, I don't know much about it because it's ignorant. But I will say that just, just, just last week I had somebody write me and they're like, hey, this was on the Reform Pubcast about 
uh, every temptation is sin. Okay, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna delve into that right now. But that's just stupid. According to James, according to the life of Jesus, who was impeccable, yeah, he was tempted. So anyway, hmm. but they 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 address questions like this as well, where it's or they try try to push forward this this narrative as well. And so, um, look, I think it is uh, it's it's really important that we name sin for what it is that we address, you know, persistent issues in the church. But at the same time, I think we need to like keep a level head and be objective and not name things as wrong or things as good that aren't. So I don't know, like, Mags, pull, rein me back in here. Like, what are, what are your, sorry, I kind of I went wild on this because just last week I was trying to convince somebody about related to things on this topic. But what are your thoughts on? I looked this up before because... Okay. I don't want to be killing people like in a nightmare. <laughs> like it's my fault or whatever. So I read a John Piper thing about how like just be what's the word smart about if you did like murder someone in your nightmare or whatever. And it's like maybe looking inward in your heart to see if there's like underlying anger, underlying bitterness, things like that. Yeah. So I don't know. I'd say that's the only helpful piece of advice I have. Yeah, I think, look. It's not we, like every time. We believe in total depravity here, okay? Because the Bible teaches total depravity. But what happens is in our circles, reform circles, we take, we take it so far that we're like, you're just vile and everything you do is vile and like you're the most corrupt person in the world and now your temptations are vile and now your dreams are vile and now you need to repent of things that you don't need to repent of. And I'm just like, all right, hold on a second. Like sin is sin and we should repent of that. Yeah. But like what we dream, and some people be like, well, what you dream is what you were thinking about or fixated on. Well, let's be real. Like we live, as we talked about in episode three, we live in a really dark, heavy world. And so sometimes it clouds our minds before we go to sleep. And yeah. then we go on a rampage and kill 13 people in our sleep or something. You know, I <laughs> I don't know, like not me, but maybe you, Max. I don't know. Um, Thirteen's a big number. Okay, I'm, just, I'm just saying. I'm using. I'm using a hypothetical here. Yeah. But we wake up from that. and We're like, woo! I'm glad that's not real. real. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad that didn't really happen. Yeah. And I'd feel terrible if it had. And I would never do that. If you're wanting to do that, if that's your desire. Yeah. Then you should repent of that. Yeah. That's but if you just have like help. this crazy dream that <laughs> you're a pirate. That, that, you hooked up with this this guy or this girl or you killed somebody or or you blew up a building. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, like, look, that's not reality. Mm-hmm. Right. And we shouldn't dwell on that and we shouldn't desire that or lust after that. But no, I don't think it's sin that needs to be repented of. With total depravity, what is it? We're not as bad as we could be. That doesn't mean that we're. So just so we're clear. We still struggle with our sin nature as believers, but we're not totally depraved anymore because we do have the infiltration of the Holy Spirit within yeah. us and the love of Christ upon us. So, but prior to salvation, the doctrine of total depravity teaches that everything about us is corrupt. Mm-hmm. So even our motivation, it's not just our mode, but it's our motivations that are corrupt. So we do things for the wrong purposes. But that doesn't mean that we're as practically behaviorally as bad as we could possibly yeah. be. Like we're not all Adolf Hitler. Okay? Yeah. Like we're, we're not all doing that. And so... But now in our redeemed state, like I'm all about talking about sin and confessing sin, repenting of sin and like showing how sin besets us uh, and derails us. But I'm also like, you don't need to call things sin that aren't sin. Yeah. Like, and, and maybe you'll feel like crap for something that's, that, that isn't wrong. Yeah. You know, or they, uh, or they can't control yeah. or, you know, like you had a, you had a weird dream. All right. 
if you're thinking about that, if you're lusting after that, if you're desiring that, that's a problem. If you're not, and it was just like a weird far-fetched dream and you wake up, hey, better luck next time. <laughs> better luck yeah. next time. Not week. to draw this out anymore, but I just wanted to say something just from my own personal experience. Because like... Tell us about said, your dreams. Yeah. Your nightmares. <laughs> Can anyone interpret this for me? <laughs> Anyways, um, when I read that question, I'm like, I have dreamt so many crazy things and like, how am I supposed to repent for that when I like didn't want that to happen in my dream. I would have gladly not had a dream about that, but I didn't have control. But then also I think it was good what you guys were saying about just like trying to uncover and like dig like, okay, is my heart like desiring this or whatever? Because I've had actually things where it's like, I've thought about it and I'm like, maybe I dreamt that because right before I went to sleep, I was watching a movie that was like super violent and like maybe yeah. that affected like my thoughts and kind of disturbed my soul a little more than I thought it did. So maybe I shouldn't watch that. Or maybe like right before you had a bad sexual dream, like you maybe you watched something on TV that like kind of prompted it. I don't know. I just think. I'm sure I'm questions. sure there's like psychological studies related to yeah. that. And we do need to be careful what we in, allow into Taking. like the gate of our minds yeah, that's for sure, saying. you know. But at the same time, like if you don't like I don't have any problem with like watch something that's really violent. Like, right. you know, like watching a movie about war. And I might have a dream about like being at war and like being a sniper or something. <laughs> it doesn't mean I'll wake up and I'm like, God, I, I apologize for those seven people I sniped in my dream. Yeah. Um, I just, I just, you know, sorry. I just, once again, this is kind of the far-fetchedness to this Christianity yeah. at times today. So. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. Is today's feminist movement more uplifting to women than Christianity is? No. No. Nothing is more uplifting and empowering to women than gospel centrality in Christianity. So many people would disagree with that and why well they would disagree with that because so i don't want to lump all feminists together okay but typically and it's so funny because the world ends up turning in um sin eats itself like yeah. i mean it ends up destroying what it stands for and so like we've seen that with cancel culture where people push for cancel culture and then they end up getting canceled uh, i've even seen it recently Anybody who's listened to my sermons or knows me personally knows I'm a big Harry Potter fan. Like, love the, the world of really any fantasy literature like that is compelling to me and interesting. But how the whole like uh, J.K. Rowling like took a stand again, you know, like kind of basically against transgenderism. And her position was as a feminist, this is an attack upon if anybody can be a woman, then it doesn't mean anything to be a woman anymore. Mm. And how like <laughs> she was just attacked ruthlessly by so many of the actors and directors who have been in their films. And so that's when I when I think of like feminism, like it's hard to like classify what that means. But a, a general understanding of that is, and I understand where transgenderism goes to this, that a woman can be whatever she wants to be. They're empowered to be whatever they want. And that's just not true. That's just not biblically true. A woman can't be a husband. I don't care what the world says. Biblically speaking, a woman can't be a father. And God has what we understand in true biblical, classical, conservative Christianity is that God has uniquely and beautifully wired men to be certain things and uniquely wired and gifted women to be certain things and that we work in divine complement to one another, that's far more beautiful than anything the world can offer. But because the world wants to pervert everything and the church even to be culturally relevant oftentimes buys into that perversion. Yeah. They begin to say, well, a woman can be X or a man can do this or, and I think we need to be careful with that because I do think there are certain things that have been feminized that a man could do very easily. Like, for example, like 
a man could be the stay-at-home dad who cares for his kids. And I don't think there's anything biblically wrong with that at all. And a woman could be the breadwinner, even though we typically see in scripture, like, uh, well, Proverbs 31, she actually makes bread and like yeah. brings in um, provision for a family. But we see in, in the New Testament, the women are keepers at home. And I think that that's not, I don't think that that is a standard that has to be applied outside of that a mother needs to mother her children, even if she works outside the home, like she needs to take care of her family in that way. Um, just like a father needs to protect and provide for. Look, if you don't adhere to like um, the God of Christianity and scripture, that's fine. Okay, there's other issues at play. But if you do, then what you're basically saying is that the way God created it is the best way. The way God designed men to be and women to be is the best way. The, God, the way God designed marriage to be and fatherhood and motherhood and, uh, and occupation and work and, and pleasure and joy and sexuality, all that's the best. And the world will always try to say that, that scripture's outdated and antiquated, but that's just not the truth. And so every, like, I would just challenge you my listening to look at these attacks that Maggie's talking about upon true biblical Christianity, and particularly in regard to gender roles and what they can do and what they should be. And, um, and ask yourself, you know, logically and historically, why, why is, why, why is it bad that like scripture says, Hey, men should do certain things and women should do other things. And that is how it works in a healthy environment. And just look throughout history at what has worked in the Bible Biblical principles have always kind of reigned, so. Yeah. Okay, the next question is in like the same vein. Is the LGBTQ plus movement more accepting and more loving of people than the Christian church is? No, not at all. Okay. So I want to be really clear on this. I, I think that true biblical Christianity is to legitimately care for, sympathize with, empathize with, and love all people of any sexual orientation or nationality, race, whatever, all people. Clearly, if we talk philosophically and historically, to love someone does not mean that we affirm everything they do. Yeah. You just don't do that. Like I, I've used the example of like my two-year-old wanting to jump in the pool when he can't swim. And I love him. And because I love him, I say no, no, because I understand that that activity would be destructive to him. Um, we understand this um, through even shows that are on television, cable t TV of what's that show about addiction where they intervene, Why intervention or whatever it is, you know, like, um, but there's an intervention show on one of those cable network television stations. I don't watch it, but where family who's not even Christian would be like, this person's addicted to drugs or this person's or addicted to- pound like, life. Yeah, like, like this person's addicted to food or sniffing um, baby powder through their nose or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> and like, we understand this is detrimental. Like this is gonna lead to an early death. So what do we do? We intervene there right. out of love for them. Like we, there's this, there's this crazy concept. I mean, it's, it's literally so crazy and illogical that to love somebody is to affirm anything they do. Tolerance. Yeah, like, so that's just, that, that's philosophically and, of course, biblically not accurate. So what the church does is we come along, hopefully, and we haven't done this well, which has led to a lot of these questions, but hopefully we come along and say, I absolutely love you, and I affirm you as an image bearer of God, mm. but I cannot affirm any activity or belief in your life that is contrary to Scripture and therefore destructive to you and to your relationships because it's contrary to the way of Christ. 
and that could be anything. It's just the the low hanging fruit is um, homosexuality. Right. But it could be anything. I mean, that would be a boyfriend girlfriend who are living together, but they're not, or maybe they're not even living together, but they're they're not they're not having intercourse, but they're having or they're committing oral sex. Okay. And so we're like. Oh, like, you know, I love them. So I just got to like affirm, like, no, like, we're not going to do that. That's not okay. Or the person who we look at and they're like, they've been really wrong. And so they're super bitter, like super bitter and super toxic. And I just need to love them and affirm. No, like we need to love them, but we need to say, you you can't continue in that way. Like, don't you understand? This is not good for you. I'm saying this because I love you. Right. And so when we come to like um, LGBT and that community, we need to truly love them and true love speaks truth in kindness. And so we need to call them to repentance um, and they're not going to like it. What, what you see, and I'm not just throwing them under the bus. I'm saying, you know, so much of what we see today in different groups and, and fragments of society is as soon as you tell somebody that what they're, people hate to be told that what they love to do is wrong. Yeah. And as soon as you do, now you're hateful and you're spiteful, just like my two-year-old would think I'm hateful and spiteful for not letting him jump in the pool. And it doesn't mean it's true. So then what would you say to someone within that realm of thought? Like if they say, well, it's not like you're telling me it's bad and you love me because it's bad and you want the best for me, but I don't think it's bad. Well, by what standard? So it kind of gets into the what do you believe is like yeah, the foundation yeah. of truth and so things like that. You think I'm you think I'm wrong for believing that marriage is between one man and one woman or believing that the gender that you were assigned at birth genetically can't be changed to a gender of your choice. Like you think I'm wrong in that. I think you're wrong. By what standard do you think I'm wrong? By what standard do I think you're wrong? Yeah. You know, and I get that's a deeper conversation, but it's a conversation needs to be had because when we start saying that somebody's wrong or even evil or malicious, hateful, by what standard are they hateful now? Yeah. Um, And they're, Outside of biblical Christianity, Judeo-Christian principle, it's it's hard, especially outside of religion, void of religion. It's really hard to like say anything that's wrong or your opinion is wrong. It might just be wrong for you and right for me or wrong for me and right for you. Well, now, now there's no objectivity anymore. Yeah. And so what I'm doing is I'm submitting myself to a standard that has superseded time um, as someone who believes clearly, and I think we all do, we believe in right and wrong. Like we saw this with George Floyd, right? So many people who have been telling us there's no right and wrong for years are like, that's wrong. And we understand as Christians, that was wrong. Yeah. Like that was actually wrong because we submitted ourselves to a universal standard that supersedes time and generation and place that says that's wrong. Racism is wrong. Murder is wrong. And yet so many people who are like, you know, almost, almost behaving as if pedophilia is right and as if racial marginalization is right, all of a sudden are saying this is wrong. And we're like, by what standard is this wrong? And because it's actually not illegal to be racist. It's just not. It, to act on that, you could argue the legality of, but to have an inner, most people would say racism is a matter of internal preference and prejudice. Well, that's not illegal, but we would still say it's wrong. And actually, most of the crowd that's like against the death of George Floyd, which is almost everybody, would also agree with us that that internal prejudice is wrong. Yeah. But by what standard is it wrong? Where did it come from? You either submit yourself to a standard that has been given by a moral lawgiver or you submit yourself to no standard, your own standard, and it all starts to unravel because as soon as you don't like something, you can just say it's okay. Yeah. Okay, wait, I have to say something. This has been such a long question, but... Sorry. No, just, no, no, no. That's good. It's really helpful. But 
Okay, so there's this phrase that has always been around like religious circles that's like love the sinner, hate the sin, uh-huh. which I think we all agree with, right? But um, a couple months ago, there was this like popular, like queer, I don't want to say like influencer, but he has like a platform on social media. He has a lot of followers. Yeah. And he made this whole like infographic post about how that's just messed up. Like you can't love the sinner and hate the sin. And I saw so many of my like unbelieving, queer, homosexual, like people I know reposting it or even some Christians that are, or quote unquote Christians that don't, they were reposting it and all this stuff. And the main point of the graphic was about like, you can't love me as a sinner and hate my sin because my sin is who I am. Mm. And I think that's just something that we like as the church have to dismantle because it's like, I think we are more loving and accepting of that community because we don't love you just because of your sexual orientation. We love you because like you said, you're an image bearer of God. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I I completely understand what you mean. I think there is a certain element of we hate certain aspects of who that person is. Mm. But we hate certain aspects of who we are. Like a chronic gossiper. My pride. A, glut, a glutton, a narcissist. Yeah. yeah. And it is true. Like there's an element of truth of what we do indicates who we are. Like we we act out of the overflow of our desires and our passions and our heart. And so it's important that we hate um, the part of us, so scripture makes a clear distinction between the, like the, the flesh and the spirit, that we hate the, the part of us to a certain extent, that we loathe, that we despise um, those unhealthy passions that lead us to, that lead us to destruction. But in hating certain aspects of who we are, of our nature and our inclination, that does not mean that we hate the totality. It means we hate, we're, we're trying to, it's like the cancer within if someone has cancer, you hate that cancer, that that alien entity to um, that, that's destroying the body, and you want that cancer removed. And no one would say that if you hate the cancer within me, you hate the totality of who I am. Right. Like you hate the cancer, the toxicity, and because I love you as a person, as an image bearer of God, I want that which is destructive to you, harmful to you, removed from your life. Amen. That's how we have to see that. And it's not just the LGBT community. It's yeah. it's everyone that, yes, while it's true, that is a part of us. That is Our sin is part of us. And it does in some ways define us, especially outside of Christ. Like we're, we're defined in Christ as children of God, but outside of Christ, we're defined as, you know, fornicators, adulterers, but we're still image bearers. Mm-hmm. And so there should be a love for, care for, and a desire to see toxicity and destruction removed. Last thing, I just feel like that, like to find those two questions together, I feel like that's one of the most, like one of the special things about Christianity is that like, I'm not defined by that kind of stuff or like with the feminism stuff, I'm not defined like if I was just a homemaker or if I'm just the breadwinner, if I'm just a woman or by my looks and things like that, I have an identity that's rooted in something that's way deeper than I, like Mm. than who I think I am. So I feel like for a feminist or anyone who defines themselves by X, Y, and Z, it's just like, I feel like it falls flat on your face. And it kind of like just restricts you. Like you can only be this person, you know? Well, primary identification. Yeah. Like God did wire us to, you guys to be girls, me to be a man. Oh yeah. But that's not my prime. Well, yeah. Work, I'm a child you know, of God, number one, first that's, and that's foremost. Our not identity just like is a Christ mom. first. Yeah. And that should shape our behavior yeah. and, and shape how we love and care for yeah. people and what we declare is right and wrong. And then what comes next is, 
are, I'm a husband, I'm a, yeah. I'm a father, yeah. I'm, I'm a dude, I'm an American, I'm a, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I love that. Okay. How can you be sure of your salvation? The spirit bears witness with our spirit, Romans says, that we're children of God. So I want to keep this as brief as possible because too many people, and I've even had like leaders in other churches in our own church be like, well, where, where, you know, like, what does the fruit look like in your life? Like, are you being obedient? The problem is, is that we deceive ourselves and we still suck at times. Like we just really suck. Mm -hmm. And the basis of my Christianity is not my performance ever for justification or sanctification. Thank God. The, the basis of my, of my Christianity is what Jesus, his performance, like his merit, what he's done for me. And so the, the big question is, hey, not Danny Van, have you, have you been faithful this week? Because what happens? If you say yes, then you have a tendency toward arrogance. I have conquered. I'm a super Christian. If you say no, <laughs> you have a tendency toward despair. Like, I haven't been good enough. Maybe I'm not it's Christian. It's different week to week. Um, yeah, it's different week to week. It's different freaking hour to hour. Yeah. And so to me, like, we do examine ourselves. But I think, um, you know, the, like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, it's all internal stuff. The, the marks of worldliness in First John 2, it's all internal. Lust the flesh, lust the eyes, and pride of life. Like, that's all internalized. Mm -hmm. And what happens in the church, especially I grew up Baptist, is let's, let's examine the externals, which is not, I don't think, necessarily what Scripture calls us to. Now, the externals will be taken care of. Behavior is righteous or unrighteous. But that comes from a heart that is bent toward righteousness or unrighteousness. And so when we examine ourselves, we ought to ask the questions, um, do I love Jesus? Have I committed myself as much as freaking possible to this message? I mean, I think that's where the skepticism of, when we say the skeptical saint, people might realize they might not. This was named after, in some respect, my life. Like where I find myself is going, you know, there are times even as a pastor, I go, man, am I, am I like legit a Christian? Like, you know, this is, I'm pretty, I'm pretty messed up. Like what I think and how pissed off I get and you know, how my anger boils over, how my lust captivates, how my pride dominates my life. Like, you know, it's just like, and then I go, by the spirit of God, I am believing as much as I am capable. Like I am trusting him for salvation in this. And based upon the proof of scripture, based upon the testimony of scripture, based upon the influence of the Holy Spirit, based upon the legitimacy of Jesus and his resurrection, I am believing this. Um, I am tethering myself to this message. And therefore, I am a Christian if God is true to his word. That's going to be so refreshing and, for people and, and to, to me, hear. Like, it is. To me, like, for, like I'm just, yeah. if I'm honest with you guys, I'm just going, oh, man, that's kind of peaceful. Like, it's just kind of peaceful, like, that, because I don't care, like, the, the biggest Pharisee in the world who's watching this, not that they would watch me because I've already said freaking pissed, but, um, <laughs> but the biggest Pharisee that's watching oh, it can go, can go. Well, you're, you're not a Christian. None of these people are Christians. Like, look at them with their bare feet and T-shirts. Um, but, but at the end of the day, like, if I'm basing my Christianity on anything other than the lavish grace of God for me and my sub submission to that, I'm basing it on the wrong things. I, I firmly believe that. And people can come at me with all the texts of Scripture taken out of context they want to. Um, like, when, when, when the Philippian jailer comes to Paul and says, what do I need to do to be saved? Paul doesn't go examine your behavior and go to church every Sunday and read your Bible and stop sleeping with your girlfriend or your mistress. Or um, he goes, you know, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, like uh, an adherence, a trust in as much as I am possible with fledgling faith in the person and work of Jesus. 
which is a commitment by faith to him. It's a sitting in the chair that I say will hold me up. And so I'm, I'm placing mm -hmm. my faith in Christ. I'm seating myself in Christ and he is my support. And that's where my assurance lies is in his faithfulness to me, not my faithfulness to him. Okay. We still have quite a few. Quite a few. <laughs> yeah. Because we'll, we'll I keep thinking every time you ask one of these, I'm like, all right, I'll answer this one in 16 seconds. <laughs> and then Sorry. you get passionate about it. <laughs> well, yeah. It's so good though. And I love all these questions so far. Okay. Because Jesus instructs us to forgive 77 times in Matthew 18, does that mean we are supposed to forgive those who mistreat us no matter what? How are we to obey this command with toxic people in our lives? We, we do have an Out of Oz podcast about this, so I'll keep this very brief. We have an entire episode about how to deal with toxic people. Um, we, should, we should seek their best before the Lord. We should still love them. We should pray for them. But there does come a point, and it's different for everybody, where we have to kind of separate ourselves, remove ourselves from that level of toxicity for the sake of our own souls, for the sake of our influence, for the sake of our ministry, for the sake of our family. And so we don't do that trite with any level of triteness or um, with, with a lack of sympathy or anything like that. But we do have, we do forgive them. We don't hold it against them. Yeah. It's like we talked about um, in the relationship podcast. Um, we forgive a spouse, we forgive a friend, but that level of trust or even that level of involvement at times has to be curtailed because it's not good for our soul to continue walking through those waters. Mm. Sweet. Okay. How exactly are we to be involved slash connected in the church? Is it required? What would what does that look like biblically, I guess? I mean, well, Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So those who are watching church online perpetually are in sin mm. because they've removed themselves from the assembly, from the gathering, the ecclesia, the called out ones. And so you should come to church. You should go to gather with the church to be part of the corporate body of believers. You should serve with the church. You should serve the church um, through a variety of ways in different contexts um, of serving, whether it's through music or teaching or children's ministry or whatever it is, you know, in those contexts. Uh, I think these are all just really biblical principles. There's, I think there's 59 one another's in the New Testament. All of them are conducted um, within the context of a local church, love one another, encourage one another, build one another up, mm -hmm. outdo one another in showing honor. Um, you can't do any of that if you're in isolation, if, if you refuse to commit yourself to and be partnered with. And so we, we press church membership here. You were on that Out of Oz episode with us. And uh, we, we are living in a day where generation after generation is, is decommitting to so mm -hmm. many things, at least officially. We just, we commit ourselves unofficially through addiction to everything else, to our food, our preferences, our social um, media, our, our media, our phones, eh, tablets, whatever devices, um, enjoyment, amusement. So we're committed to those things, even though we would never admit it, but we are it's just called addiction. Yeah. Um, but we should be com actually committed to, officially committed to, I think, the local church and serving the local church and being edified by the local church and built up by and loving and caring for. So, How do you both of you, I guess, personally deal with doubt and unbelief in God altogether? I go back to the objectivity. This is why I said subjectivity is important, but like, like me and our experience True. with Christ is important, but the objectivity, like did Jesus actually rise from the dead? Is the Bible actually true? Mm. Um, what is required of me as a follower of Christ? Have I done that? Am I doing that? You know, because I struggle with doubt a lot. I think if, people knew how much I struggled with doubt 
they might not, some people might not turn to my church, especially the Pharisees mm-hmm. wouldn't come to my church because like God has called us to believe in that which we have not seen. Right. And devote ourselves to that which we hope in. But there's a level, only our hope assures us like fully, brings us to that 100%. And so struggling with doubt and wrestling through, I mean, that's what, we, that's what we wanted to create this podcast for is for people that struggle with this. And so I say, go back to the objectivity. Go back to, I mean, don't base it on your emotions and your experiences based mm-hmm. upon like facts. Yeah. That Jesus rose from the dead. Um, that God causes his children, that the Bible's never been refuted, that the Bible has stood the test of time. Um, the Bible is true. God is true. Christ is true. The Holy Spirit is true. Um, these things are important. So I feel like there's so many texts in scripture where people who were in scripture felt abandoned by God. Like I think about Definitely. David and stuff, and I'm just like, if he's been there, then God, God knows, you know? Mm-hmm. So it makes it feel like, better somehow <laughs> oh yeah it's it's tough like but i think i think questions and even i would say even doubt there's a difference between doubt and unbelief like mm. like unbelief is wrong unbelief yeah. is sin it strikes at the heart of god but to question be filled with like heaviness and doubts and questions i think anybody who isn't maybe isn't thinking yeah mm. okay should christian women still strive to be modest or is this a legalistic or antiquated idea? Super legalistic. You should definitely. Should I head out now? A, <laughs> no. Um, look, at church. <laughs> uh, people will say modesty, modesty biblically is an issue of the heart. And that's true. Where you're seeking to not draw attention to yourself. Um, now, God just did a way better job with you ladies than he did with us guys. So nobody, if I walk in with a midriff, it's not that people won't care. Jeffrey would eat it up. They're, they're, <laughs> They would just be disgusted, okay? They would just be disgusted. And I get, like, that's maybe because I don't have an eight-pack, but still, like, there is a difference. God is wired. This is why we go back to gender identity. Like, God has wired men and women differently to be turned on by, to be enticed by different things a lot of times. And that doesn't mean that y'all aren't physically attracted to, to men. And But men are very visual creatures. And so the idea of modesty in the New Testament is to present a concept of of humility, to not draw attention to myself, to not cause my brothers to stumble. Now, a lot of times when modesty is brought up today, women are like, well, you guys need to like get it together and like stop being so lustful all the time. And, they would say that's not my problem. That and I would say that, that they're legit in that. Like that girls are legit in that. Guys do need to get it together and stop looking at porn and stop looking at um, Instagram has kind of become softcore porn a lot of times, yep, especially even with, even with Christian women. girls. Like, and, and I will say in defense of Christian girls, they don't understand. They don't understand what, like, a girl dressed in a certain way does to a dude. Like, it just does. Um, and, you know, people, once again, can argue that they're just lying to you. Um, d- dudes are really, really messed up. Um, we are, all of us. It doesn't matter. Old dudes are still messed up. Young dudes are messed up. Like, we, we struggle with this. Like, um, there are passions of the flesh. And so, what a, I would think, and I get it, I'm not a girl. So I don't have to deal with this as much. But what I would think a godly, mature young lady would do or older lady would do is to present themselves. Doesn't mean they can't be stylish. Doesn't mean they can't doll themselves up. But to present themselves in a way that is not as sexual. I don't know how else to say that. And so there are certain body parts for guys and girls that are more sexual in nature. And to attempt to not distract their brothers in the faith, married or single, from um, their walk with Christ, to be a stumbling block to them. 
And so I'm going to wear something that's more concealing than revealing. Hey, look, I get it. This will be argued forever because scripture doesn't give us like a definitive, hey, four inches above the knee, that's modest, but six inches is immodest. Or um, this shirt can be this far plunging, but not that far, or this tight, not that. Like, I get it. So it's it's tough. And I'll yeah. be co- look, no matter what position you take on modesty, if you take a position, you'll be called a legalist by some people and a liberal by others. Yeah. As well. Like, so certain people that I know who are ultra conservative would say I'm liberal in my approach to attire. And then many others are probably pissed right now and they've just turned off the podcast because I'm so <laughs> conservative. So um, you can't win. But I think it's very clear from scripture that matters of the heart do produce mm. practical implication. And so. Um, look, anybody's knowledge, like a woman shouldn't walk in here on Sunday morning into church with shorts on and no top, like booty shorts and no top. And why? Well, does Bible say that women shouldn't come topless to church? Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't. So we're applying mod- um, principles of modesty. And so the same would apply with, okay, so they're wearing a top, but it is incredibly low cut and midriff showing. Look, you, you got to wade through those waters and like determine, but I think it's pretty clear to most of us when sexual objectification should take place and ladies should try, I mean, for the sake of their own health to refrain from that. What would you say to the girl who's like, well, this is what makes me feel most confident when I wear this outfit. That's like revealing. Well, I would, I would say that like, I would imagine I haven't, you know, by God's grace, I haven't ever had an affair, but I would imagine like if I would just like sleep with whoever I wanted, that's what made me happiest. You know, maybe like in my flesh, um, or made me feel confidence, or uh, if I just behaved however I wanted to and treated people like crap, maybe that's not ever what scripture calls us to is to feel most confidence or cause us to deny ourselves. Mm, like, but, the, yeah, no, and that, that just aggravates me because it's like if a Christian girl is saying that, which I've heard it from Christian girls before, it's like, who told you, who was like, who told you that that was going to make you feel most confident? And it's like culture. Culture yeah. pushes you to do this your way. So you're literally just following culture and not the Bible. Yeah. And then also I hate when, not a hate, but it bothers me when like, I mean, I've been in this place too, so I don't want to throw stones. But when like girls will dress sexy and then they're saying like, well, the guy shouldn't think of me sexually. It's like, well, you know, you're dressing sexy because you saw another girl dress sexy and you're trying to be sexy too. It's like, and also they're also saying like, well, why does modesty not apply to guys? And it's because culture doesn't try to push guys to be sexy most times. I mean, they still do, but like not on the everyday clothes. Oh, I feel the pressure every day. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of validity to what you're saying. Like aggression and lust on the part of a man is never justified, never okay, no matter how immodest a woman is. True. Uh, a woman could walk naked in front of a dude and it does not justify that guy's lust or aggression or sexual promiscuity upon her. At the same time, that's going to be far more enticing. Yeah. And so if, especially if a girl is saying, don't objectify me, then don't dress in a way that would lend toward objectification. Yeah. Why don't we just call it a podcast for today? Okay. I don't think we made it through 10, but I enjoyed all this conversation. We were still some deep diving. On this episode. That was really good, yeah. So um, that's it for now. If you want more of the Skeptical Sync show after this episode, I don't know if you do, because it was a lot we went after. Let us know. And, uh, like been, and subscribe. It's been a fun little season. Yeah, like and subscribe. Listen to Out of Oz. Come to church Sunday. Come to Collective. Thanks for tuning in.
Thanks for listening to The Skeptical Saint. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. The Skeptical Saint is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about this show and Building 28 by visiting theskepticalsaint.com. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app. 